the kid has to want to do it. You can't force somebody to, to, to want to do it. They have to have fun. And a lot of kids have friends. And so you want to see uh, what experience they're going to have with the friends and what new friends they're going to make. And so you, there's really no way to fail at this thing unless you're, you're forcing somebody to do something that they don't want to do. So it is so important, whether you're good or bad in sports, to participate because you'll learn so many valuable lessons. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Over the last couple of months, I've seen a lot of high school coaches who I really value and respect either get kind of pushed out or simply just basically walk away from their jobs uh, due to either, you know, like a small vocal minority of parents or administrators who can't or maybe don't want to see the forest of the trees and, and oftentimes kind of a general lack of respect. So I think it's just kind of a good reminder here today as we gear up for this awesome episode for those of us who are in what we consider good positions to kind of take a step back and just appreciate where we are right now. I think it's a, a good reminder for all of us that we're all replaceable and to just really do everything we can to enjoy the present moment every chance that we get. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for trying to get a little bit better at what we all love doing. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've powered the high school coaches club for literally years, man. And if you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, which we have and it's awesome. You name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. Heck, I even saw them post recently this huge netting system for walkways, right? Like they'll, if it needs a net, they're going to build it for you, right? They'll truly make your facility better. And they've been doing that all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by a man who's been covering high school sports in Southern California for almost 50 years. Let that sink in for a minute. He's been working at for the LA Times since 1997. And even though I have literally no connection or reason really to follow SoCal Prep Sports closely, this man is one of my absolute favorite Twitter follows. So I feel like I know a lot about SoCal Sports for pretty much no reason other than the fact that I follow him. And I read his stuff every chance I get. He has the inside look at the high school sports landscape from the days of covering John Elway all the way to the present time. This man, Eric Sondheimer, has dedicated his professional life to covering the exciting and often insane world of prep athletics. So... Let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 87 with Eric Sondheimer. All right, Eric Sondheimer, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm, I'm really glad to have you here. Glad to be with you. Uh, you know, you're closing in on uh, almost 50 years now uh, of covering prep sports in L.A. Um, there's lots of interviews and articles you've written over that time, and you've gotten to cover, you know, starting with John Elway, uh, moved on to all sorts of really famous players that all of us probably know, Gilbert Arenas, Tayshawn Prince, Jack McDowell, Brett Saberhagen, Jeff Supon, Ryan Braun, uh, like Giancarlo Stanton. You just had the crazy saga with Bronny where that kind of captivated the country for a little while, or at least over here on the West Coast. But I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure you've heard that question all the time of like some of the famous people you've covered. Um, who's somebody that you've covered that you, maybe like the best player of any sport that you covered who most people probably never ended up ever hearing about? Well, there's a, you know, one of the fun parts of covering high school sports in Southern California through the years is just the talent level is just unprecedented. Yes, Florida and Texas have lots of talent, but California, Southern California in a variety of sports just really can't be top when you're talking about the, the multi-talented athletes there are. So it's kind of hard to find somebody who you didn't uh, cover because uh, uh, that didn't do as well or, or exceeded expectations because 
you know, from my perspective, it's fun to cover people that that nobody's heard about and they end up becoming stars. But, Mm. you know, not everybody becomes a professional star. So you have to uh, kind of compare how great they were in high school and then see if they why they didn't make it to the pros. You know, anything possible can happen. But, you know, there's been lots of of outstanding high school players that for whatever reasons uh, stopped after that. Maybe it was an injury. Maybe they didn't have the the size to, to move up at that particular level, but there have been so many pitchers that have done great in high school, but for whatever reasons stopped when they got to the next level, maybe again, arm trouble or whatever. So baseball in Southern California to me is the best professional sport as far as producing players that move on to the pros, as you mentioned, some of those great pitchers from McDowell to <laughs> Supon to Saberhagen came up, but uh, they also had some um, great pitchers that, that came through, you know, Jack McDowell's team in 1984 is probably the best baseball team there ever was in Southern California that didn't win a championship because <laughs> Jack McDowell's brother was the head coach and he, stupidly decided to hold off his brother from pitching in the semifinals and they lost uh, the, uh, to a team and Notre Dame, that was the only loss they had all season. And so, uh, uh, and they had some great players on the team. Unfortunately, the backup was a guy named Kalella and, and he was a great pitcher, but he lost. I would have pitched Jack McDowell in that game because you got to get to the final. And that's the lesson I learned from that on is, you need to pitch somebody to get to the final, your best. So don't don't take it for granted that you're going to get to the final. But yeah, there's just been a lot of uh, great athletes through the years. Yeah, I've uh, I coach baseball here in Oregon, and uh, every it's to your point every year when you watch the playoffs and you see it all shake out, you'll see a team that you know should get deep in the playoffs, maybe even reach the championship, and they'll they'll try to save a guy like you're talking about. But you, and we have that discussion with our team all the time of, no, we got to use our guide now because we don't, like, you don't know if tomorrow's going to happen if we don't get through today. We, we can figure out tomorrow when we get to it. Exactly. I mean, that's the, that's the lesson I've learned. You, you got to get to that point and you need to use everybody possible. And yeah, if, if you're not going to win it all, if you don't really have that third pitcher to help you out, but I mean, you got to get there if you want to, to get there. And I've seen so many people lose throughout the years by trying to save it one time in the city section this team that was very good decided to pitch like his number two pitcher in the opening game of the playoffs and they (laughs) lost so that was the end of that it's kind of silly but i understand uh, the strategy from both sides but my lesson is you got to try to win that game in particular you uh, went to high school, obviously, down there in Southern California, graduated in the 70s. Did you play high school sports? I was a basketball manager because I got cut from my junior high basketball team. That's when I went into journalism. I found out I had more power or more influence writing about the game itself than participating and sitting on the bench. So, <laughs> and so being a basketball manager at Poly High in Sun Valley – really was important in my development because I got to see behind the scenes how things work, how a coach uh, does things and and seeing how players react. And I actually went into coaching at my first year out of uh, graduation out of high school. I, I actually helped coach a JV basketball team. And I learned immediately I'm not going into coaching because I the kids didn't show up on time. And I got so nervous <laughs> before games, the, the butterflies were flowing. I said, I'm not doing this. This is ridiculous. So, uh, but it was, it was so important for me to see what goes on behind the scenes, the, the pressure that goes on involving players and coaches and this be on the bench and then the timeouts. And then at halftime to see how everything goes around. And that, that I've taken that, to throughout the years to to want to go behind the scenes to see all that inside stuff to try and bring it forth so readers can see what really is happening. It's funny that you mentioned the coaching part because I, I've talked to a lot of coaching buddies and I feel the same way of where when we're like actively coaching a game like it's we can be nervous wrecks you can kind of hide it and everything of course but there's something really calming about going and watching other teams play and you there's like you know there's like a high pressure situation you're like yeah this is a high pressure situation I'm glad I don't have to worry about it right I don't I don't know 
it's a difficult task for coaches because you're going to feel that pressure if you want to win so badly and you want your players to do so badly. And I don't know how people deal with that. I mean, that's why they get out of it. You know, that, that stress mm -hmm. level is, is very hard. And I, it's impressive when coaches coach for so long. And I've learned that, you know, for these coaches that want to win so badly that they don't want to take care, they, they don't want to uh, hold their kids accountable because maybe they'll transfer. I've also learned that you have to accept what you're doing. And if they want to transfer, you say goodbye. Yeah, they may be good, but they have to want to be there and you have to understand the long-term thing. If you're coaching in high school, you're trying to prepare these people for life. And if they don't want to accept the message of we have to get better and play as a team, they don't want to take your your advice and your coaching, then maybe they may, may, maybe you need to let them go. And so I think a lot of people have started to do that and they're focusing now on getting them good grades and, and enjoying the team experience and having fun. If there's a troublemaker there, then you just have to say, no, goodbye. You Yes, you want to transfer, go, goodbye. We'll, we'll move on. We want people who want to be here. Do you see a, a trend? We have a little bit of one up here anyway in Oregon, but do you see a trend of, of high school coaches not lasting as long as maybe they used to? I think that's definitely possible especially after the pandemic, you know, everybody, the, the pandemic really changed things. It, it caused people to reevaluate where they are and what they want to do and how long they want to do it. it. It forced them to decide, you know, family versus coaching. And some people got out, others were reinvigorated that they really missed it and they want to keep going. Hmm. So I, I think it's a little bit, we're just gone through the pandemic. We're, we're getting back to normal. We are back to normal for the most part. So let's see where things go. But there's a there's a lot of increased responsibilities on coaches now. And and there's a lot of bad stuff going on. Again, <laughs> that the loyalty factor is gone. You have to really want to be part of this new era of of selling yourself to the players and the and dealing with the parents. And it's a lot of things besides the X's and O's now. And so you have to decide. And a lot of the new people that are coaching have gone through that. They, they maybe have transferred themselves mm -hmm. so they know what they're getting into. The old timers don't really like it, you know, and, <laughs> and so they're being challenged how long they want to keep it going like that. You've mentioned transfers a couple of times. Is there like moving forward, do you see – like a real chance for like normal, just like neighborhood based schools to, to compete for like state titles and championships without transfers. I, in, in California, those days are long gone. We're, we're back mm. up to nearly 16,000 transfers in California this past Oof. year. You know, it went down when the pandemic went and everybody stopped. So, you know, there, there, there was one positive thing about the pandemic. It showed you that people do in fact move for for sports reasons, because it all stopped <laughs> when the pandemic went on and the yeah. transfer stopped because they, there was no sports. So nobody moved, but now that they're back they're the transfers are back. So it, it, it was good for me because everybody kept saying, Oh, we're not moving for sports reasons, which was, was, was proven to be false. Okay. They're definitely moving for sports reasons. So yes, it's, it's legal. You can transfer, now in California, all you want, you just have to sit out half the season if you didn't move and you're eligible immediately if you move. And that's going to keep uh, accelerating. And I'm just going to keep, as long as I keep riding, I'm going to keep pointing out the teams that win with the neighborhood uh, teams. I'm going to keep pointing out athletes that stay for four years and show that you can succeed without having to move. So that's going to be my goal is kind of pointing out these these rare instances where people can win without transfers. But at the highest level in Southern California, if you want to win a championship, you really need a transfer. I mean, Harvard-Westlake basketball pulled off really a rarity when they won the state championship in basketball without any transfers other than one kid who, who transferred in two years ago. And that's as close as you get. I mean, you're, ne you're never going to get a team that has zero transfers total. But that's as close as you're going to get. At the highest level, football, basketball, and even baseball, you really need transfers to win championships. Well, I think especially like 
basketball is kind of the most surprising to me that a team would still be able to win with like a neighborhood based one because with with basketball you get one kid that's one out of five guys on the court that's a huge difference maker I guess baseball makes sense too if you bring in one pitcher one guy one hitter might make a huge huge deal but I feel like basketball has got to be such a huge advantage if you get a transfer in who's really really good right it's the reason why people in that sport are just focused on you know going to summer games or or AU mm-hmm. games and and getting the parents involved and telling them hey invite this guy over here or whatever and yeah it it makes a huge difference and in Southern California every year it's been proven that you win you the only way to win is with a transfer and Harvard Westlake again they won the state title but they didn't win the Southern section that was won by Corona Centennial which had transfers so I'm I'm really believe that you don't win Division One without a transfer. It was hard for Harvard-Westlake to get this close, and they'll try again. Uh, they're a school that really doesn't take a whole lot of transfers because they're high academic and, and stuff like that. So that'll be the challenge uh, for them again. I, I feel like one of the harder parts about your job would be when you're, I mean, really interviewing coaches or players because they're – I imagine for you, there's there's probably a weird line where, and I don't even know where the line is that you don't want to cross, or if it even exists, I don't even know. But where there's, there there might be questions or or even answers that people give that maybe you you don't want to ask, or maybe you don't want to publish, or especially when I think of like transfers and people moving and reasons for it, it just is it a weird experience for you trying to balance that? It, it is sometimes, and I, I roll my eyes when I see a tweet or whatever when somebody says I'm I'm switching schools and again and again and again, you know, and and this is same schools and and everybody claims that everything's up on the board and and yeah, you, you'll find that they're following the rules, but we all know what's going behind the scenes. So yeah, it it, it makes me uncomfortable when I have to go out and 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 cover a team. You know, we were close to last year. There was a a school that I just didn't want to cover because, because I knew that they were just doing it the wrong way. And, but, you know, my editor basically says we have to keep covering schools. You know, the the public expects us to, to cover the results. So, you know, it's a challenge for me. Uh, I, I don't like it. I, I, I'm again looking for stories of positive of, of schools that are overcoming that. But you know, at the highest level, it's it's pretty clear that most schools are are, are accepting transfers. And the funny thing is the private schools, they don't they have a choice. They they get to pick and choose what players or students come to their school. The public schools don't have that choice. If somebody's in their district, you have to accept them. So to me that I, I put a little higher expectation on the private schools because that's their decision to go that way, to mm-hmm. rely on transfers and stuff. And there's private schools that that trying to do it the right way, and I try to, to show that. And there's others that are openly doing things that are very questionable for <laughs> education-based high school sports because that's what we're covering. I'm not interested in, in writing about AAU ball where you can be at one – team one week and another team the next week and then you have all the private coaches saying oh we want them to to succeed and we care about the kids and our only thing is about getting them a scholarship well uh, i'm just telling you that high school sports is more about trying to to get showcase kids to get scholarships it's about teaching so many lessons and i'm not going to change in the way that i approach it yeah, that's a funny thing that you mentioned because it's something we kind of talk to our, our families and parents about a little bit is is during our spring season, baseball again, during our spring season, there's not we're not really getting college coaches coming out that often because I, I have to remind them all the time, this is when their season is. Like they're busy practicing, they're busy playing, so that you're not going to get a ton of college coaches coming and scouting you. It's during the summer that that happens. So to your point – that the summer, the showcase system, all that stuff, it makes sense for trying to get scholarships and trying to get exposure. During the the high school season itself, most of the time for most sports, those college coaches are busy with their own team. And yeah, they'll send guys every once in a while, especially for really, really big time players. But for most high school players, the, the time you're going to really get, you know, quote unquote, seen is during that summer stuff, maybe not probably not during the, the actual school season. Right. And that's the silliness of the whole 
transfer situation is that there's lots of sports where playing for the high school doesn't really uh, in, in influence the way college coaches are recruiting. It's it's the summer stuff, you know, in particular softball. That's when the recruiting happens is in mm-hmm. the summertime. Same with mostly soccer, uh, volleyball, and and increasingly with basketball. That that's the 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 time when it doesn't really matter what high school team you're on. It's it's the club team that you're playing on that they're going to go out and see where you come from. Now football. People have tried for years to try and figure a way to have a uh, a uh, a club football situation. Mm-hmm. Actually, during the pandemic, somebody tried to do that here, and and they said, "Oh, this is the the future," and they were laughed out because that didn't work out. <laughs> so it's still based on your high school season, and yeah, you can go to camps now in the summertime. That allows colleges to give it up close view, but the coaches go out to the high schools during the. Uh, during the recruiting time and they go to the weight rooms, they talk to the coaches, they go to the counselors. So that's kind of the way it happens in football with baseball. It's certainly all about the, well, not all, but a lot of it is the summertime and mm-hmm. club teams and showcases and all that. But it, it, in the end, it doesn't really matter all that stuff. If you're good, they will find you wherever you're at. You mentioned uh, football, so I I know up here in Oregon, there's definitely a trend. I think the pandemic really kind of sped it up, but a, a trend of of lower and lower participation numbers at the high school level every year. Uh, are you seeing that in California? And if so, is there a is there an answer, or is this just going to keep happening? Well, definitely, there's been a drop in football participation. Uh, it's been happening. It's like three or four years now. But there are some signs that it's coming back. You know, this past year, they finally got some lower level programs to return. The pandemic, they had to drop a lot of them. And, and, but I'm noticing and coaches are noticing that the level's going back up. So I, I was under the impression that football was in trouble. But now I'm, I'm thinking that it's leveling out and maybe there's a chance to build it back up here. There's certainly everybody recognizes that in practices that the amount of, of tackling drills and physicality has to be stopped a little bit to try and protect from injuries. And there's less of that happening during the week and relying more on the game. So that's encouraging. So I, I want to see how this fall where things are at. I think if there's another uh, positive year of, uh, of improvement, then I think there's a chance that it can get back to some kind of uh, stability as far as participation levels for football. I think there's something, and you know this, there's something about football that just brings communities together. You can have really good teams around, you know, around other sports, but for whatever reason, there's something about, you know, a Friday night or, you know, a lot of states or schools, Saturdays, whatever it might be, where it, it can really kind of create a whole culture for a school and the community that surrounds it. And so I think, Having really healthy football programs and participation numbers, I think, is a, a huge net benefit for schools and the communities around them. Yeah, no, no doubt. Football is a, a huge uh, opening of the school semester. A positive mm-hmm. season can really help uh, everybody. And now we have in California the start of, of girls seven on seven flag football, which I think yeah, is going to yeah. be an interesting development of how that's going to play out. I, I think that's going to be great for, for school participation level to get people out to cheer uh, on the, the teams. <clears throat> it's still in the developmental stage. This will be the first season. So we'll have to see how the, the games are played and how it evolves. But I think there's a lot of positivity in that flag football, not tackling. And um, I think that there's a lot of excitement. So we're going to see how that, plays into the scheme of things are they doing that in the fall right it's starting immediately it's going to be done simultaneously with the 11 man season so they may end up playing on monday nights or they may end up playing some girls games before the varsity games so it's going to be intriguing obviously facility wise you have to develop time on the field and and also have uh deal with uh, people that might play volleyball and and football at the same time and soccer so you're having all these girls that 
play year-round sports for a particular sport, but now they're going to give football a little bit of a try. So it's a little bit experiment involved, and we have to see, again, where it takes it. But I have a suspicion that from a school spirit perspective, it's going to be it's going to be huge. People are going to want to go out there and cheer on their school and their teams. We did kind of like a, I, I'm not really, it was like a pilot program of that, I guess, this past spring. And so there was uh, the, the girls um, flag football. I, I want to say maybe eight to 12 high schools participated in it, including ours. Uh, they did it this spring. It was pretty cool. And I know it, it started getting a lot of attention. And so I, I think as they roll it out again next year, it's going to keep growing. And to your point, I think that ends up being something if it sticks and I think it will, that, that really helps school cultures and, and creates kind of a new cool, just like outlet for people to get involved again, I guess. Right. And from a sports writer's perspective, it, it takes you back to years ago when people actually went out for sports for the fun of it and not about playing yes. for scholarship. Yeah, so right. right now there, there aren't a whole lot of scholarships. So if you're playing girls flag football, it's not to get a scholarship and that's going to make it a, a unique experience. The parents are cheering for their kids, not for to try and expose them to whatever. So it, that's what I think a lot of sports writers here are going to be really excited about is getting out of the pressure of and, and the focus on, well, this person is so fast, they deserve a scholarship and let's rank <laughs> right. them by so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh-huh. So it, it's going to be, again, an interesting experience. And I have to figure out my own way how we want to cover mm-hmm. girls flag football. Well, you, you brought up a few interesting points and I think maybe the best way to look at it is if, if you had a group of parents in front of you and they had, you know, 14, 13, 15 year old kids and their kids loved sports, what would be your like advice to them in terms of, I mean, I guess, I guess you've seen a lot of kids and you've seen some be really successful. You've certainly seen some get injured. You've seen some end up in some really tragic situations. You've seen some get burnt out. You've seen some chase a scholarship and get it and others chase a scholarship and not get it. If you had a group of parents in front of you, just taking everything you've learned, especially recently, what kind of advice would you give to them as their, their, their kid kind of starts into their high school sports career? Just find a program where they have a coach that has a positive attitude that encourages the kids to to uh, to have fun, be successful, make sure that they're they care about the kids on and off the field, and and evaluate how they've uh, done. You know, look at the lower level programs to see if it's tied into how they want to be as as a varsity figure and and you have options to to hire private coaches if you want to really get so involved in a particular sport or you need some help and you can ask them also but uh i mean if you're if it's a neighborhood school you you've probably been following that program for several years you've probably gone to some games so you can tell you know what what's happening at that school whether and just because a team isn't winning as much or is is maybe losing a lot, you need to see where that fits in with your your boy or girl. I mean, if you have a top athlete in the family, again, there's options to do so. Besides going to that high school on on a particular club team that can help you do well, depending on the sports, there are so many opportunities at all levels now for to succeed, and it just depends on how much emphasis you want to put in on sports and how much emphasis you want to put on academics for all the money you're putting into sports. You could use that to try and get a 4.0 GPA and maybe get scholarship in academics. But obviously I'm a big fan of, of sports and academics. I mean, it's a really great thing to do well in both and to uh, you get to meet different people and, and sports is obviously very healthy if you do it the right way, but the kid has to want to do it. You can't force somebody to, to, to want to do it. They have to have fun. And a lot of kids have friends. And so you want to see uh, what experience they're going to have with the friends and what new friends they're going to make. And so you, there's really no way to fail at this thing unless you're, you're forcing somebody to do something that they don't want to do. 
when you think about kind of high school coaches then and what they can do to help their kids, um, obviously you've mentioned a bunch of things that I think are helpful, obviously focusing on the right stuff. Um, I think a lot of people say things like, you know, winning's a byproduct of doing other things the right way, all that good stuff. Um, but when you're looking at a high school coach and his relationship with maybe a reporter or the media, um, what would make your job easier? What does make your job easy that high school coaches do? Like, what are things that they can do to make the job easier for Eric and any other reporter that's kind yeah. of uh, following along that team? Well, every year in LAUSD, <laughs> city section, I send out a form to ask coaches to fill out football, basketball, baseball, very simple and I get very few responses, which tells you about how hard my job is to yeah. cover the city section is. The coaches that return it are, to me, the best coaches because they take a, yeah. a little bit of time and it help me identify particular players that they think are going to be good players. Why everybody doesn't want to do it or doesn't have time to do it is beyond me other than they're just – I, I don't know. They could. I don't want to say they're lazy. I just want to say they're disorganized. But it's it's. I've been doing this for so long. I know who are the good coaches and the bad coaches and <laughs> filling it up. There's one coach that will never do it, and I, I don't know why. He thinks that it's not good for their kids to be noticed. I guess for the media, seriously. So, um, so that's one thing. You know, the fact that coaches put up their stats on max preps is very helpful because. Writers, we really use it a lot to see, to use for previews on who's who's coming back that had good seasons. It's really important in those three sports, and some people like it. Others don't want to do it because they say it's unfair, gives unfair advantages if you want to scout my particular team, which is laughable because colleges put in all the all the stats, so everybody sees that and the pros. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but some people actually don't want to post stats because they fear that they're they're working very hard to to do their teams and they don't want to help scout their teams which is ridiculous hmm. because the top schools actually post their stats so why are they the top schools they're apparently not afraid of anybody so those are two things that are really helpful uh for sports writers well and and to your point uh a lot of teams' players are just posted everywhere online so I can for the most part, like this past high school season, if we were going to play against a certain team and I knew a certain pitcher was going to throw, I could jump on Twitter and search his name and there'd probably be like 10 to 15 videos of him pitching at showcases. And then you add in football, they've got video. Like to me, the idea of not putting your stats online out of fear of another team knowing your stats is just, it's like a misconception of how sports actually work. Right. And rosters are really important. I mean, mm -hmm. I go to football games and they're not even up there. It's it's kind of it's terrible. And and they're misspelled sometimes. I mean, at least you really learn about a coach that they can't even post a roster. Now, one good thing about the city section is they put in a rule that if you don't post your roster and give it to the official before the game, then you're going to be uh, penalized. So they're the one section uh, that that has a rule there that you have to have a roster before a football game and give it to the official. And so, and they did that because some people were, were not putting the rosters up and therefore nobody could check out to see if somebody was eligible or not. So they were secretly didn't want anybody to know who was particular playing. So that changed all that. But that's yeah, an be, example of, of could a could be bringing in like know. a 20 year old to a, right. to a defensive tackle or something like that. Yep, yep, and that, and it does happen, and it did happen. And one school got in particular trouble for for keeping its roster secret because they didn't want to know where these people came from. Because the opposing coach can look on a roster and see if they know this came from a certain place and and check out that person. I want to go back uh, to John Elway, and you're probably tired of talking about him, but I, I want to hear more about John Elway, the baseball player. Yeah, well, he was an extraordinary athlete. He actually got drafted by the Yankees and played in the minor leagues. And he was a terrific pitcher and hitter. And his coach, Daryl Stroh, brought him in at Dodger Stadium to face Daryl Strawberry, you know, with very little practice uh, in the bullpen. And he did pretty well. So, uh, yeah, he was a terrific baseball player. He could have done either way. But in football, if, if you're – 
if you're a quarterback and you have the best arm maybe in history, the strongest arm at least, I mean, you're going to go play on that sport. And he could, and but you could tell from baseball. He also played a little bit of basketball, but dropped the sport after his first year. He was just a terrific athlete and one of those people who, who was a multi-sport athlete. And it's still important to be a multi-sport athlete. If you check all, most of the people drafted nowadays in the NFL are multi-sports athletes. Maybe they play football, they did track. Some played some base from basketball. Uh, baseball players, you know, John Savage that used to really loves football mm. players. Just he's had so many former quarterbacks out there that he's signed. And because it's a level of toughness and competitiveness that he enjoys. And I agree. I mean, I think it's important. But and nowadays it's very tough to be a two sport athlete because the coaches want you to the private coaches want you to train year round. But <laughs> The smart ones understand that you need to rest certain muscles uh, in particular sports and have a vacation on occasion and not uh, burn out the arms or burn out your ment- yourself mentally. So playing a different sports allows you to heal. And so I don't understand why the parents don't understand that, the importance of that. I think to your point too, the the mental part of it in my mind is is even more important that that mental break of the sport. So if I'm playing baseball twelve months out of the year, like that's gonna get at some point. I just need to stop and like do something else. It, it, whether right. it's a sport, whether it's just me deciding to go jump on a trampoline every day instead of thinking about baseball, whatever it is. Like I feel like you need that mental just literal vacation from your sport and whether that's playing another sport or doing something else, whatever. But to your point, I think that that mental part of it is so, so undervalued. Yeah. And vacation from your coach. You don't want to have to be this guy for 12 months, you know, the <laughs> Linwood high school. Let me give you an example. Linwood high school's uh, basketball coach is also the father of the star player. And he's not coaching this summer. He allows somebody else to coach his son. And that's a good break. That's an important break because maybe the son will want to be actually coached by his father again after a little <laughs> break. And maybe the father will want to coach his son again after a little break. So, yeah, having a break from everybody is is certainly refreshing and can be very helpful. I mean, my I just got back from my vacation and I love vacations because it, right at the very end, I start to write again and I, I feel so refreshed and so in, reinvigorated and after reading a book and it's so helpful to to take that break and and then I'm motivated and excited and some of my best calls that come right after vacation because I I have all these ideas that I want to deal with in in your in your line of work taking a vacation has to be bizarre because if if something happens so let's say you take a vacation there's some big you know some big news in the high school sports world in southern california how hard is it for you to to not dive right in and say okay i I can't vacation right this moment i need to get this covered i don't want i don't really want to tell you the truth the truth is (laughs) you put vacation in quote marks i'm never really on vacation i bring my phone i bring my computer i'm on twitter looking the only the, the only thing that we really do on a vacation is is tweet less. <laughs> so um, I'm still doing it. And, and I've gone on vacation and, and done roundups from Thailand or whatever. If I go on, I do go on vacation in December. I'm doing roundups from, from wherever I'm at because people are texting me the scores. And so it's really not a total vacation. I've never had a total vacation where I'm a, a journalist and just shut off everything. The only time that happened is when I was in Africa and I couldn't get any Wi-Fi and and I was miserable. You know, I, I didn't know what was going on. This one time I was in uh, Morocco and I had no, uh, I was in the desert because it was part of a tour and we were in the desert. There was no Wi-Fi, but you could get Wi-Fi briefly if you went up on top of a, a sand dune. And so I went on top of the sand dune and that's how I found out that Pete Carroll had left USC to become a, the head coach of Seattle after p- pointing up my phone, cell phone up in the air in Morocco. And so, yeah, it's, I don't go to places without Wi-Fi. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> so would I be safe to say that you are, you would be more stressed out in a place where you couldn't still check in and get stuff done than you would be taking a true, like complete checkout. Yeah. yeah that That's yeah. not happening. I'm not going anywhere <laughs> without Wi-Fi. So. Oh my gosh. I love it. Do you ever just sit back and, and just 
shake yourself at, at the amount of incredible talent that you've been able to watch over the course of your career? Um, it's, it's, it's just been fun. And yeah, it's, the years have gone by fast when you look back at some of the things, but uh, again, my, my whole strategy has been to make sure that, that the high school sports was important for the particular people that I work for. And I haven't worked for too many different people. I, I started working for the LA daily news as soon as I graduated from high school. Then I left briefly for the national sports daily. That was the big test. Uh, in 1990 for 18 months, which I didn't really cover high school sports. That's the only time, although I did some stories for them. Then I returned to the Daily News. Then I went to the LA Times in 97. So I really worked for only three different organizations in all my years. I don't really like to, to move. When I moved into a house, that was that's my first and only time because I'm not moving. It's a pain in the butt, packing everything. So I don't really like to to change jobs or change houses or whatever. So, um, but it, it is when you look back at some of the, the people that have become such great uh, individuals. But again, I think that's the fun part is, is following them in high school and seeing how much they change personally, if they're good people, if they stay good people. And um, I always like to give a test at the end of the, during the playoff time that's been ever since I started is, <clears throat> try to talk to a, a star player after a loss and see how they deal with it. Cause you really mm -hmm. learn about that person and you figure out and, and it's a, and it never always tells me if they're going to be ready to be mature enough to, to be an immediate college contributor. If, if they can't talk to a reporter after a loss, it means they're not ready for the next level. Cause you have to kind of, you, you get a moment to, to, uh, to be upset. And I, I give that person that moment, but then you have to ask, then I want to see if, if they're good enough to move on. And uh, because that's what you have to do at the highest levels from pro to college. And some people have not been able to deal with that. I said, get away from me. I'm not talking to you. And sure enough, the next year, they're, they're not going to be heard from in college. They're not ready to deal with that. But then there's others like a, a Casey Clausen who I interviewed uh, when he was a quarterback at Alameda and they lost to modern day after the game, he was crying, but he sat there and talked and sure enough, the next year he's the starting quarterback as a freshman for Tennessee. So I, I really enjoy uh, really finding out about the, the star players, how really ready they are for the next level by how well they handled defeat. That's something I've never really thought about. And then it made my mind immediately go to, man, the poor kid who's never had any practice with it, who, who's never had, you know, lives maybe in a community where a reporter has never even come to talk, maybe has never been interviewed in his life. And then all of a sudden, you know, you could be at a big, like you could be at Tennessee and the game's going to end and someone's going to ask you a question. And that's got to be such a huge, that's got, it's got to make you nervous as a kid if you never had the practice of going through that. Right. It, it is, but things have changed a lot. That was like 20 years ago. Now with Twitter and everything, people are interviewed or, or they're on Instagram and they've, they're putting, posting videos of themselves. So things have changed a lot. You know, they should be a lot more relaxed, but you know, I understand I, I cover high school sports differently than I would in college. I've covered the Super Bowl, the NBA championships, the little league world series, the breeders cup, uh, at the uh, regular world series. And, and again, I I've seen at the highest level, but I've always focused on high school sports. So I know uh, that it's, you have to treat these athletes differently than the pros and the colleges. I do. I never criticize for the most part, high school athletes because they're student athletes. I've only called for the firing of a coach one time in high school. And I, I realized they're teachers first. But it is becoming more and more challenging now with NIL deal. People are taking mm. money. So do you treat them like a college athlete? That's something that's growing and, and, and becoming more and more challenging. And, and so th those are the issues that are going to be developing here in the coming years. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting seeing the NIL become a bigger part of high school sports because I think we're just just barely scratching the surface up here in Oregon this past year. They, you know, allowed a new rule where you can, you know, make money off NIL. It just can't be connected to the school. You can't be wearing your school stuff. But it's like it's slowly starting to come in. And I think it's going to definitely it's going to look different, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, it's still up in the air, and everybody from colleges to high schools are still learning about it. So there'll be some pluses and minuses going on. Um, I know for me growing up, uh, I graduated high school in 2007 and I, my, my parents didn't, um, you know, we didn't get the local newspaper here, the Statesman Journal in the capital of, of Oregon. But uh, I remember <laughs> it's kind of, it feels so weird now because kids have Twitter and everything. They can go online and find all their stuff like you were mentioning. But um, if I remember when I'd have a good game. I would, the next morning I'd be driving to school and I'd swing by Elmer's, which is like a breakfast place here. And I I'd just park in the parking lot. I'd go out in front of the, the, the restaurant and I'd go to the one of the little newspaper stands. I'd, you know, stick a quarter in, get the paper so that I could read the little, you know, it's just a little paragraph, not even that of just like, you know, Max Price went two for three with an RBI. And I remember it, to me, that was, it was so cool. And I, I felt so important. And so to, to see you doing this and, and making your whole career this of, of highlighting the, the world of high school sports, um, I, I just think it's such a neat experience for those kids. And I don't know if they realize it yet. And maybe they will some far, you know, sometime far down the road, maybe they never will. But it, it's just a really cool thing that you've you've been able to do for them, whether they realize it or not. Well, I appreciate that. And I always run into people at some point and they, they say, thank you for writing about me. I'm bad on names and memories, but yeah, <laughs> I remember when I was in high school and seeing a score in the, in the local paper was, was exciting and stuff. So I, I realized that I just hope people continue to read, you know, a lot of people yeah. don't read newspapers anymore. They, they're relying more on the technology and, and that's fine. I mean, I, I, I just go online now and read art paper and and coming up here, we're going to have early deadlines. So you, you won't be getting the scores in the paper anymore for the next morning because our deadline is going to be so early, but you can go online and get the paper. So we're having to teach people how to do that now. And older people are having to learn. They like to have the, the paper in front of them and while drinking their coffee in the morning, but mm -hmm. Slowly, they're learning to have their read it through their iPhone or or their iPads. So yeah, things have changed. I mean, technology has changed. I used to have to drag around a ten pound computer to or <laughs> rust to the uh, to the uh, phone booth to try and call in a story. You know, now it's it's you know you're you're at a game and you're using Wi Fi and you're writing the story and stuff. So it's 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 ever evolving. I'm. I'm pleased that I've been able to go with the technology. I never even did videos for for so many years. And then somebody at the LA Times uh, uh, suggested that that we need to look for videos in the future. And they agreed to teach me how to shoot videos. And I, I respond, we promptly did that. And I love now shooting videos. And it's turned out to be very important because it's increased my versatility and probably have kept me a job because everybody else that joined in that volunteer class has left and nobody else is shooting videos, but now more and more are learning because you can use it on Twitter. And I used to produce videos for the, for the paper and occasionally I still do it, but mostly use it for Twitter. And again, I, I like telling it a story from a different point of view besides writing about it. You can give a visual look and, and it also has become my tape recorder. You know, you sh you do an interview with your phone by shooting a video. If you stick around long enough, maybe chat GPT will start becoming a, a, an employee as well. That thing's crazy. Right. <laughs> I have not tried it out yet. I, I, I don't know if I will, uh, but maybe I'm sure I will just to see where things at. But I'm staying away from it. It's like uh, yeah. I'm not really big into Instagram yet until my paper says you have to do that. So we'll see where, where things go. I'm always willing to learn. I've always, I think that's very important, you know, to keep learning and to be open-minded. I don't write the stories just because I like it. I, I write stories because I think the reader is going to like it. And you always have to remember, put the readers first. You know, I don't know soccer that well, but I, a lot of people love soccer. So I have to make sure that I keep covering that. And there's other sports that are the same way. Well, I, I, like I said, I really appreciate you and, and especially the work that you do and, 
that you've found a way to continue to adapt over the course of time and, and keep high school sports in the local paper, I think is a huge deal because as you know, it's, it's been a real struggle across the country for a lot of communities to be able to keep that, keep it going. And then you, you know, you add in the idea of early deadlines and how that's going to change things. And just, it's a, it's an industry that's constantly changing for so many reasons. And so for you to be able to keep up with it the way you have and stay relevant and keep it in the paper has been really cool. Um, as we kind of wrap things up, just wanted to hand the mic to you maybe one last time. And if there's anything you feel like we missed any message that you think a high school coach would benefit from, or, or a parent, or even a, a high school student athlete, or an aspiring reporter, whatever it might be, just kind of give the mic over to you one more time. Yeah, well, I appreciate your your comments and stuff. It's it's all about being passionate about whatever you're doing. You know, the coaches are so passionate, the players are so passionate, and, and competing. The parents are passionate and cheering on their kids, and the writers are passionate in their profession. And I think that's great. You know, I'm just passionate in the importance of high school sports, helping kids grow up to become good adults. I mean, I just had a a police, a deputy police chief in the LAPD say that athletes make the best cops because they've learned to be team oriented. And I've heard that from, from military people that athletes are the greatest because, again, they're learning their football, when the times that they're playing football, when things are at their bleakest, they don't give up. And now they're in the military and they're not going to give up. So it is so important, whether you're good or bad in sports, to participate because you'll learn so many valuable lessons. And we need to keep the focus on that and not just about who's getting a scholarship. It's It may be a losing battle, but I'm still here. And as long as I'm still writing and I'm turning 65 this year and I'm not close to retiring, I'm going to keep focusing on that keep fighting the good fight eric i appreciate you so much thank you and and good luck to you and enjoy the upcoming uh season of football and soccer and everything else that that you're diving into once again now that your quote-unquote vacation is over thank you very much i appreciate it i'm telling you right now no matter where you live follow eric on twitter you can find that link in the show notes. He may be reporting on prep sports in Southern California, but man, it is a fascinating look at the current state of high school sports. Meanwhile, if you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter, or if you haven't picked up some high school coaches club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to high school coaches club to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review. If you're listening on Apple podcasts and no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers via email to your fellow coaches or through the old fashioned word of mouth. It does not matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better. And that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Eric Sondheimer for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is yourself. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.